the, the latest thing is that Chick-fil-A sauce is like running out. And so I know that's the biggest thing and the biggest problem that you have where you're running to HEB and seeing if there's any more of those big Chick-fil-A sauces. But we live in a day and age where the brokenness of the world, where we can't prepare for everything. But let me ask you, are you prepared? And many of you are preppers. I'm looking around the room going, hey, you're prepared for anything. You've got the gas in the tank. You've got the massive generator or the generac that hooks up to your home. So you're prepared. I'm not sure you're prepared for Chick-fil-A sauce not being there. Well, you're prepared. But this is nothing new. The scripture says that there will always be trials there will always be troubles that come upon us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's coming. But the question is, how do we respond to it? How do you respond to, maybe in your own life, what you could describe as the noisy silence of God? Where you're saying, God, I just don't sense you. I don't feel you. I don't feel like you're showing up in this circumstance that I'm in. Or God feels distance, or maybe it's even sin that is entangling you that you can't get out of. And you don't feel that God is near. And there is trouble that's being produced because of your own sin. Maybe it's the worries that you have about your job and the economy and the world we have. Or the political unrest. Or the unanswered questions that you and I have. And Jesus would finish that sentence and say, and say take heart. For I have overcome the world. We've been looking at the book of Habakkuk. This is an Old Testament prophet. There's a lot of babies in the church being born, so Habakkuk might be a name you want to check out. Um, This is the prophet of old, and he was a little unique compared to some of the other prophets. Uh, When God came to him, uh, he had questions for God about what he saw in his world. Most of the times, the, the prophets in the Old Testament would get a word from God and then give that word of Confess, repent to the people and turn from your sins. But first, before that happens, Habakkuk says, God, time out. I've got some questions that I need answering. And he walks through chapter 1 and he gets right, th- right to it. You don't find out much about him other than we think his name means to hug and, or to embrace. And he certainly needed a hug. But what we've seen is that he continues to embrace God in his struggle, in the questions that he has that are unanswered. So in chapter 1, he asks God questions. God, I don't see you working. Where are you? Are you idle? Your people, even your people, are going the way of the world and they're not following you. And you have evil kings, even in the land of Judah. So Habakkuk's question is, why, God, aren't you showing up? And God says, hey, I'm showing up. I'm working. I'm doing a thing in your generation. If I told you, then you would be amazed. And let me go ahead and tell you. And he says to Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with the wickedness of Judah and I'm going to use the pestilent, evil nation of Babylon to bring judgment. And so now, now Habakkuk has a different question. He starts with the question of, God, why aren't you working? And he gets an answer, and sometimes we can't hand- handle the answers of God. And now he's got a question about why. Why would you do it that way? Think about your own life and the questions you have for God. And perhaps God answers you in a way and you go, well, why would you do it that way? And this is where Habakkuk is. And so God shows up. He literally shows up. And a theophany shows up and he says, write this down, scribble it down, put it on the parchment, chisel it into the piece of rock. I'm going to deal not only with Judah, but I'm going to deal with Babylon as well. So you hang tight. So God shows up. So here's the question in the last iteration of Habakkuk today is how is Habakkuk going to respond to God's two two answers that he gives him? 
It's a very distinct change in perspective and change that he has in chapter 3, and we're going to unpack why. And here's the deal. Habakkuk's got to wait. (laughs) He's got to wait on this judgment that's coming from God in this broken world that he's living in. So he's got to prepare himself for, for what's coming. Listen, one day Jesus is going to return and judge the quick and the dead. And so we are in a season before Jesus' second coming where we're waiting, especially on his judgment. But we live in this broken world. So how do we prepare ourselves? What do we do? Chapter 3 gives us some great insight on what it actually looks like to live by faith. When you don't have all the answers or your circumstances aren't going to change... Between now and heaven, how do we live? How do we live waiting on the Lord? How do we live, as last week we talked about, by faith? And so I want to show you four things from this text. Habakkuk chapter 3, turn there in your Bible. It's page 786 on the Bible on the end of your row. Um, Find it in your table of contents if you need to. Habakkuk 3, and this is kind of the final conclusion of this book that we're going to unpack this morning. Let me just read the first couple of verses because there's much there, and we'll just kind of walk through the text, and I'll unpack things. So how's Habakkuk going to respond? Is he going to have more questions, concerns? Where is he going to go? Look at it. A prayer. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. You try saying that. Shigianoth. We'll come back to that. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. So he listened. He stood on his rampart and he listened to what God had to say. If you remember in chapter 2, he was listening so he could give a response. But look at his response now. After he's seen the Lord, the glory of the Lord, and heard from him in the midst. Excuse me, in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear or am I in awe? In the midst of the years, revive it. Revive what? Revive your work. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, because that's what's coming upon the nation or or the tribe of Judah. Remember mercy. Do you see the distinct shift in Habakkuk's heart? Do you see how meeting with the Lord and hearing from the Lord about the suffering of the people, about the injustice that's going on, do you see this shift? He's literally changed his tune. He was questioning and waiting, and now he's praying in humility, and he's in awe. He's acknowledged God's work, that God is working. Remember his question? You're not working, God. You're idle. You're indifferent. And now he's saying, no, you've been working. He acknowledges that. But it produces a fear and an awe and a worship for God. You see his humility. And he asked God for a couple of things here. Do you see it there in verse 2? He asked God to keep working. Even though judgment's coming, keep working amongst your people. Revive it. This is the idea of revival. That God's chastening would bring about revival in people's hearts and in people's lives. But here's the question. He asked for mercy. Does God show mercy? Does God show mercy to Judah at any point after that? And the answer is yes. Definitively, yes, because God is a compassionate and merciful God. And so we fast forward, the Babylonians come, and then the Persians take care of them, and you get to the book of Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah? Remember the guy who wanted to go back from exile and build the wall? And in Nehemiah 1, you see this incredible prayer of Nehemiah. He says, I have sinned, my family has sinned, our nation has sinned, and so you've judged us. You've rightfully judged us, but remember mercy. And he goes before King Artaxerxes, the Persian king at that time. 
and he requests as the cupbearer. That's the guy who has to drink this, the juice before the king just in case the guy gets poisoned and dies. So that's, I don't know if that's a good role or not, but he made it pretty high in Artaxerxes' um, cabinet, if you will. And he comes before the king and he asks if he can go back. Go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And so Artaxerxes, by the providence of God, allows him to come back. And they, through a lot of trouble and a lot of trial, they rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And you come to chapter 9 in Nehemiah. And I think we've got it there. Nehemiah chapter 9. And I want you to see the people of God and their confession and their repentance before God and what God does. Nehemiah chapter 9. In verse 2. And it says this. And they're, before they dedicate themselves to the Lord in verse 2, chapter 9 of Nehemiah. It says, And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners because that was their issue in that day. Was they were marrying foreign wives and they were joining themselves And they separate themselves from the foreigners and stood and confessed their sin and iniquity of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Y'all want to try that out? You want to come on over and we'll read for, for, for six hours the word of God, the first five books of the Bible. Four books of the Bible. We're going to read Leviticus. So they spent time in God's word. And then for another quarter of the day, they made confession. That six hours they spent confessing their sin and worshiping before their God. And then you turn just one page and you see something else about God and and, and God's mercy. Verse 30, many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets. See also Habakkuk. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands... This is what's happened to the nation Israel because of their disobedience. Nevertheless, I love this. In your great mercy, did you not make an end of them and forsake them? You didn't do that. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Was God merciful to his people? Yes and amen. He was merciful to them. And this is what revival is. Let Let me say it this way. Here's your first idea for today. Here's how you prep. Here's how you live by faith. First, God's chastening can bring about revival in your heart and in your life. God's chastening can bring about change if you allow it, if you allow the the word of God and the spirit of God to move in your life. When you come before him in confession and repentance and humble yourself before him, that chastening, that discipline can bring about revival. And this is what Israel needed. See, revival is a recovery of what's been lost. To come alive literally is what revival means. And it happens when people pray. It happens when people pray and they repent for their sins and they're honest about their sins. And they can't stand the idea that there's unconfessed sins before God. And so they get downwind of their sins and they ask God in his mercy and in his grace to work. That his spirit might work even in times of justice and wrath. One guy said it this way about revival, that God leans down and blows through his spirit on the embers and the coals that are barely there, that he can fan the flames and rekindle a fire. There's a story in 1970, Asbury College, 1970. 1970 was an interesting time of segregation, at the end of segregation, the war, interesting time, and at this college in Asbury in Kentucky. They were having chapel, as Christian colleges do, every day, 
I don't know if you've ever been to a chapel or you've been in a private Christian school or a seminary, but chapel every day. It's, it's just the next day you're going. And one day the, the dean of students decided he was up to, to teach that day, and he decided, you know, I think God just wants me to allow students to come up and share testimony about what God's doing in their life. And a senior student comes up, and he's open and he's honest. He says, you know, the last four years... I haven't lived for God. I've been apathetic. I know God. And he just starts confessing that he needs the Lord. He needs to rekindle afresh his love for God and his pursuit of God. And then he invited any other students up to share. And more students came forward and began to share and pray and confess their, their sins to one another. And that continued not just for that hour but for eight days. Without stop, eight days and eight nights where the Lord was just working in the hearts of these students. And then those students and many of the faculty went out to 130 different colleges. This made the national news that God was at work at Asbury College. See, revival starts in the heart. It starts in our hearts and then it permeates to our lives and into our churches. When I think about that, I think about a, a, maybe a familiar text to you. Second Chronicles 7, a little different context than for us. Second Chronicles 7, 14, God says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I love this, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin. What is it in your life that needs revival? What are the things in your life that need reviving? What are the things in our church that needs reviving across the board that we might seek his face, that he might do a work here? Not some perfunctory work or just some deep emotionalism, but that God would truly show up in our lives and change what needs to be changed. It starts in our heart, but here's the thing. The greatest revival that could ever happen in your life is the gospel, that the gospel would touch you and that you would come to a place where you realize that there is nothing that you can bring to God that will earn you any favor before him and you confess your sin to him and that you by faith trust in his son to do what you can't do and trust Christ and know Christ and confess your sin and ask him for mercy that he might work forgiveness in your life. Can I tell you, that is the most amazing thing that God could ever do in your life. We often talk, and we have even in the book of Habakkuk, and how God's ways are not our ways. And we often associate that with things that we can't explain, things that are hard realities to understand, like Habakkuk 1, that God was going to use a more wicked nation to judge another one, and that's right and good. But that passage in Isaiah 55 that we use to do that is actually talking about something different. It's actually talking about the mercy of God. The compassion of God. The idea that it's unbelievable. If you and I were God, we wouldn't have that much compassion and mercy for each other, let alone ourselves. And yet, his ways are not our ways. That he is much more compassionate and mercy with us and our sin than we could ever imagine. That's the love of God. 
So God's chastening can bring about revival in our hearts. That's how we prepare for trouble. We humble ourselves and pray that God can bring revival in our hearts out of ruin or coming ruin. But there's something else. There's another way that we prepare. And it's about remembering. And I want you to look with me in verses 3 through 16. And I'm just going to walk through it. And as I walk through it and as you read along, I'm just going to make a couple of points as we walk through it. But, but Habakkuk's going to do something else here. He's going to begin to remember some things about his God. About God's past faithfulness to his people and about who God is. Verse 3. God came from Teman. So if, you're, if, if your kid ever asks you where God's from, there's where he's from. Hyperbole. And the Holy One from Mount Paran. So this is in the Sinai Peninsula. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. I want you just to remember the history of Israel. This is Mount Sinai. This is when God comes to Mount Sinai. Now Habakkuk's, the way he's going to flush this out in the rest of these verses is not chronological. I think he's just stream of consciousness thinking about how God has been faithful to Israel and his people, even in very, very difficult days. And so you see Mount Sinai, where the Shekinah glory of God in Exodus 19 comes, and Moses comes up to the mountain, and then it says in verse 5, Before him went pestilence and plague follow it at his heels. Do you remember the Exodus and the plagues of Egypt in Exodus chapter 7? So he's backtracking. You get to verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, so there's an earthquake. Earthquake is just a sign of judgment in the Bible. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers? And so he's going to go into this water kind of motif. O Lord, was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? So rivers and sea, think Old Testament history and what God did with rivers and seas. The Nile turns to blood. And look at this. When you rode on your horses and on your chariots of salvation, Red Sea deliverance where he delivers the people who've come out of Egypt. The waters part and they go across where God delivers his people from the hands of the Egyptians. So he's recalling God's faithfulness to his people in the history of Israel. Verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw and were writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep give forth their voice. Lift his hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in the place. What are we talking about here? Remember the history of Israel in Joshua chapter 10? They're in Gibeon. Kids, remember this? When they're in Gibeon and the sun's going down and the enemy is fleeing and God stops the sun. He holds it. So that Joshua can defeat the enemy. So the sun and moon stood still in their place. The light of the arrows, they sped at the flash of the glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You're threshing the nations in anger. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked. I think this is back to the Exodus a bit where he crushes the Egyptians. And he lays waste the house of Pharaoh. But I want you to just look at that language And this is past Exodus, but I think it's speaking as well if we look at the the language of a future Exodus where God delivers his people and brings salvation through an anointed, through the person of Christ, the Messiah, who crushed the head of the snake. So he's looking at the past, but we can look forward to what Christ 
has done. You pierce through your own arrows the heads of the warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea on your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This is Habakkuk recalling a lot of Israel's history. Verse 16. Here's what he thinks about it. I hear and my body trembles. Remember his burden? Chapter 1, verse 1. This is a burden. This is a weight. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet. You should circle that word. Yet. I will quietly Was he quiet before? He wasn't quiet at all. God, why are you doing this? Can you do it this way? You're from heaven. You can't do this. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble, the day that's coming for Judah to come upon the people, Babylonians, who will invade us. Listen, remembering God's faithfulness anchors us for the troubles of the world. God's faithfulness anchors us for life's Troubles. See, Habakkuk drew on the history of Israel, God's word for his people. So he didn't start chapter 1 not knowing that God had been faithful to deliver his people, like Israel when they were in slavery and they were crying out to God, when will you deliver us where your people were in slavery? He heard their prayer too. Habakkuk knew that. And he's also able to, to draw from his own life. Let me ask you a question. Or actually, not a question. When you go to a restaurant with people, let's just talk about this for a minute. When you go to a restaurant with people, there's different kind of orderers. Okay, like you sit down to a nice meal and you're ordering. So some of you foodies in here, like you've already decided, like you you brought up the menu beforehand and you've already decided what you're gonna have. You go to Eden Cafe, you've already decided you're gonna get the snapper or the chicken salad. It's all good there, right? You've already decided. Usually the foodie. Already decided what you're going to get. You're good. So when the, when the waiter comes to order the first time, you're ready. And then there's the people that, like, usually me, I already know what I want. You know, I've got, like, three staple items. So when I go through the Chick-fil-A line, they already know what I want. Number three, 12 count, uh, fries and a large unsweet tea, if you're ever interested. Um, <laughs> I already know. Or maybe a number seven every once in a while, but that's pretty much it. You cut me open, chicken nuggets. I'm that person, so I have staple items. Like, I, I'm going to either get this or this. I used to go to, I, I love that Chipotle is now open. Um, when we lived in Cyprus, they would just say, is it the regular? You know, this is, this is what you get. I, and then there's the third person, and I fall into this camp too, and, and most of us do at some point or another, but, but, but like the annoying order where, where you come and you've got the menu, and, and maybe you, you're still at Eden Cafe and you know the menu, and it's all really good, but you can't make up your mind. Like, you're, you're, you talk to your friends, and then the waiter comes, you're like, uh, I'll order, just give me a second, give me a couple more minutes, maybe this is you, and you come back, and you're like, hey, what are the specials? Need to know what the specials are today, just trying to figure it out, and, and then you order, and you have, the, like, the particular order, no tomato, no onion, and everybody around you is going, okay, dude, just order, right? You have problems ordering from the menu. Listen. You know, sometimes we, we don't know how to respond in prayer as Habakkuk did because we don't really know the menu. We don't really know the menu or we second-guess ourselves. God's word is like this prayer menu for us. So when we're going through trouble and things aren't going the way that we want or something happens in our lives, we, we fumble around. 
But you need to know that God's word is like this prayer menu. As, as Habakkuk used it, particularly for us in the person of Christ, that you can go back to him and trust in him and recall what he's done for you when times of trouble come. But I think there's something else. There's, there's God's word and there's also your experiences and my experiences. To where we can look back, and maybe it takes a little bit of time, but you can look back on something that was really hard. Or maybe it was discipline from the Lord, and you can say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. And so when something in the future comes, you can look at it, and you can say, God was working. I couldn't see it then, but God was working. I can look back on your own life. Do you have that kind of memory bank? We tend to think about the things that are wrong. We need a memory bank of things that God has done in our own lives that we can draw back on as the people of God did when they had Ebenezer Stones and say, we saw you work here. So where in your life have you seen God work? I'm going to give you a golf tip. Anybody, if you're a golfer, I'm going to to go there this morning again. It's been like a month. Um, But when I'm playing golf and I'm about to hit a shot, i got a couple of things that I do before I hit the shot. I want to see the shot in my mind's eye of what I want it to look like I want to feel the shot, so I kind of figure out, okay, I want to hit a high cut, so I'm going to hold my hands off, finish high, just helping you out, all right? So, so, I, so I see the shot in my mind's eye, I feel the shot, and then I've got to get up there and I've got to trust that that's what I need to do. And the other thing that I do, especially on really hard shots, like I put myself in a really bad position, and I've got to hit this really difficult shot, the other thing that I'll often do is recall, recall pulling a shot off in my past that I might have confidence that I can pull it off right now. So i got a memory bank of four irons and five irons and sand wedges or putts that I've made similar that I can call on to give me confidence. And let me tell you, your life is like that with the Lord. That if you can recall in your memory bank things that he has done, it will help you in the present and as you move forward in the future when trouble comes. Even when that trouble is stuff that you deserve. And so God, remembering God's faithfulness, anchors us for life's troubles, both from his word that we have that is available to us, as well as our own life. So do you know what's on the menu? Do you have a memory bank of God's faithfulness in your life? That's why we continue to talk about cultivating time with the Lord and His presence and in His Word. That's why we continue to talk about being around other believers to encourage you, to walk with you when things are difficult. So God's faithfulness is seen as we look at the Word. It's also seen in discipline. But what's at the heart? What's at the heart of this distinct change in Habakkuk? There's something to happen between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because you get to chapter 2 in the beginning, he's like, I'm waiting on you, God, but I'm waiting to respond. I'm going to say something when you say, after you say something. He's like, you kid. I'm going to say something. He's not saying anything in the beginning of chapter 3. He's humbled himself before God. And you get down to verse, look at it, verse 16, the end of 16. I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon us. That's some faith. He's living in faith. But look at 17 through 19. This is a passage to memorize about what it looks like to live by faith. Though, you're going to see that, though I will. Even though this is going to happen, I will. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor the fruit 
beyond the vines. Or the produce of the olives fail, and the field yields no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Listen, in the Old Testament, this was an agrarian society that relied on all of those things. And back when God gave them the, word, the, the law, Deuteronomy chapter 10, God said, if you don't obey, if you follow, fall into idolatry and worship, created things, I'm going to shut the heavens. There's not going to be any rain. So guess what happens to the herds and stalls? Guess what happens to the olive tree? Guess what happens to the fig? If there's no water, if God shut up the water because of their disobedience. No, none of that will be there. And God is bringing judgment yet. Verse 18, underline this, yet. Again, second yet, I will. Even though these things are happening, I will. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In spite of what's going on, in spite of what's coming, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes, he makes, not I make, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. It's not his strength that's holding him up anymore. As before, where he was questioning and concerned and crying out. Now he's resting, as we sang earlier. He's resting in the Lord. His strength comes from the Lord. You think about this imagery of a deer's feet. He makes me tread on high places. Do you ever see those videos with deer or like the mountain goat? And you're, you're watching it, and they're on these crazy cliffs, and they're just bouncing around. And you're concerned for them, right? You're concerned that they're going to fall off. They're not concerned at all. They're not concerned because they know what they're doing. They've been there. They've done that. They're equipped for it. And God equips us to deal with trouble. God equips us to deal with coming trouble when we trust in him. And so I think the idea here, when you're looking at it, is this. Our greatest need isn't more information, but his revelation. Our greatest need is not more information, it's his revelation, it's his presence. And this is what you see with Habakkuk. You see, the answers didn't give him this response. The answers made him more bewildered. Do you see that in chapter 2? He was confused. Let me ask you another question. Have his circumstances changed from chapter 1 and 2 to chapter 3? The only thing that's changed is he's a day or two closer to the judgment that's coming. So his circumstances haven't changed. I'm all for praying for my circumstances to change. That's not a bad thing to pray. But his circumstances have actually gotten worse. But his perspective has changed. When you get to 16 through 19, that's a very different response. And and here's why I think why. When you get to chapter 2, God shows up. He shows up in his glory. There's this what we call in theological circles, a $100 word, theophany. That God reveals his glory to Habakkuk. He comes in form. And he gives him a theodicy, if you're into this stuff, of how do you explain evil and a good God at the same time. And he gives him that. And so he goes from waiting, and I'm going to respond to seeing, glimpsing the glory of God and his word. 
And it changes his story. It changes his perspective uh, on even all the junk that's going on all around him. You see, our greatest need isn't more information, but his revelation and seeing his glory. See, when Habakkuk glimpsed the glory of God and the word of God, it changed his stories. Do you see your story? Through the lens of his greater glory. I want you to ask yourself that question in your, your darkest moments. Whose strength are you counting on? Habakkuk is resting at this place. And here's the deal. You could be resting with God and then the next day you got to do it again. <laughs> this is not as if, I, I'm sure in the course of the next 12 years that Habakkuk's waiting for the judgment of God in the course of the next 60 years when there's more problems in exile, this was an ongoing thing. I don't want you to leave here going, well, he just had faith and then he was good. Not at all. This is a, a regular thing that we have to do to come back to the word of God, come back and remind ourselves of who God is. So do you see your story through the lens of his glory? And maybe you're here and you're saying, well, look, pastor, um, they saw the glory of God. I've never, I've never really experienced that. That's a good thought. But guess what? The glory of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came and we saw his glory, grace and truth. And Hebrews 1 tells us something even more. It tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. So he is the glory. And it tells us something else, that Jesus is the final word. Not like the prophets. Not even like the new. He's the final word. It's done. And the most beautiful thing is this. He left. When Jesus left, he said, it's good that I go away. And everybody's saying, no, it's not. It's good because I leave you my spirit that lives within you. So there's a sense in which the Spirit of God lives within us. And man, the prophets would have probably killed for that. They saw the glory of God in the Old Testament, but it came and it went. But you and I, if you know Christ, you have the Spirit of God working within you. You're made in His image, and as a believer in Christ, He's working. He's put, in a sense, His glory on you in that way, in ways that they would long to have. So our greatest need isn't more information, but his revelation. And I would ask you again, do you know that final word? Do you know Christ, the final word of God, who's the radiance of the glory of God? Do you know him? Do you know that story? So your story can't really change until you experience the greater glory of what Christ has done for you on a cross. So know him, trust him. And last, and this is just kind of a tack on, but this is a really important thing. Look at the end of verse 19. We've been in this book, and you can tell if you look at your Bible that it's poetic because it's indented, right? And so poetry is this stylized language that really is meant to bring out emotion. And here's a hard situation of injustice and suffering. And so it's good that it's poetic. And you get to chapter 3, and it's a prayer, and it is a prayer. But look at what Habakkuk says. To the choir master with stringed instruments. That looks like something you're going to see in the book of Psalms. So not only is it a prayer, it's a song. So Habakkuk prays a song. 
And look back, just to prove that a little further, that he puts chapter 3 to song. So it's not just for himself, it's for the congregation. To be reminded to live by faith. Be reminded of the goodness of God. You see it in verse 13, verse 9, verse 3. On the right side it says Selah. That's what you see in the Psalms. And then that word that we're going to come back to, Shigianoth. I'm not going to make you all say it. I kind of feel like making you say it just because I had to say it. Shigianoth. What in the world is that? There's only one, uh, one place in the scripture that uses this phrase. And it's Psalm chapter 7. It's a psalm. So it's a type of song, and it's a lament. You know what a lament psalm is? Like when life is hard and you're lamenting. When you think of a lament, and I think of lament, I think of my first church that had a pipe organ, and you could just you you could do lament really well. You can do contemplative really well. I think of blues. I think of that sad country song where you lose your dog. All right, that's what I th- that's what I think of. But but here's the interesting thing about the idea of off that we think. It's a lament, but it's a lament with enthusiasm. It's a lament with victory and triumph. That's not, that's not Habakkuk's situation. He's, he's going through a rough time. Here's your point. And this is really important. The deepest pain calls for the highest praise. The deepest pain Calls for the highest of praise. The greatest praise come from the darkest of days. I don't know if that's true in your life, but it certainly is mine. Where I'm crying out to God and going, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. This is not some perfunctory, fake, faux praise. You know, you've seen it. Where, where everything's going bad, but we're, you put on the show. This is not a show. This is not an emotional show. This is a lament with enthusiasm and praise to God. This whole chapter is that. The deepest pain comes, calls for the highest praise. This is, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, under me. This is, I will wait for you through the storm. This is, the Lord has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. This is reliance upon the Lord, trust in the Lord. The deepest pain calls for the highest of praise. What's your remedy in times of trouble? What kind of song do you turn to? We need to be a people who turn to praise that we worship while we wait. So we prepare for trouble by pursuing the presence of God and praise. We prepare for trouble by remembering to live by faith, by humbling ourselves in prayer and asking God to move. And I gotta tie a bow on this book here. I definitely have to tie a bow on this book, looking at the time. And I, we could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about injustice. We could talk about suffering. We could talk about waiting upon the Lord. We could talk about how real and relatable Habakkuk is. He's the guy that I would really, as a prophet, there's some other prophets. I'm like, I, I think I'd like to hang out with Habakkuk because he just seems so real and relatable and honest. But I want you to just glimpse for a minute. If you've got a Bible, turn to the second verse of chapter 1. I just want, to, I want you to see as we close out this book and close out this service. I want you to see where he started and where he ended. In verse 2, it says, O Lord, how long, you can just hear him, shall I cry? The Hebrew for cry the first time is sob. 
So he's sobbing. But the Hebrew for the second time in verse 2, where he says, or cry the second time, if you have a CSB, it says scream. He goes from sobbing to screaming. And then at the end of the book, he goes to singing. It's not because he has answers. Because he's been bewildered by answers. It's not because his circumstances has changed. Because he's experienced the glory of God and his word. And listen, as you think about that in your own life, you have permission to hurt. I want to say that. You have permission to hurt. The life of living by faith, I think sometimes we put on our Sunday best and we come in and we say, how are you doing today? And there's a right and good way to do that. You're probably not going to dump on everybody all the time. But living a life of faith is messy. It's okay to cry. It's okay to scream out to God for answers. It's okay to bring your requests to Him. He's gentle and lowly. He, He bears your burdens. So you have permission to hurt. Living by faith is not like the Instagram life where you just got pictures here and there where you look in everybody else's life and go, man, their life is great. No, it's not. We struggle. It's okay to struggle. It's okay especially to struggle with the people of God to lift you up in community. Because if you're living your life outside of that, even as a believer, you're not tapping into the resources also that God has given you to do life with other people. Be a part of community. Get in a community group. Be a part of it. So you have permission to hurt. But here's the deal. Habakkuk really lives out his own name. He lives out his own name. His name means to hug and embrace. And you think about all the junk that he's going through all the way through this book. Even when he's going, God, can you really do that? He's still embracing God. He's still dealing with his doubts and his questions with God, not outside of God. He's embracing him all the way through this book. He doesn't let go. So your takeaway today is this. Really for the book is this. Scream if you need to scream. But don't let go. Don't let go. See, pain in life is not just real. It's actually necessary. We can't grow without pain. That's what I see with Habakkuk. He's grown from chapter 1 to chapter 3. It's not without pain. Man, Anything for comfort. Anything for Chick-fil-A sauce, right? This is the tendency that we have. The pain in life is not just real, but it's necessary. And I'm going to use an overused illustration, but you think about the caterpillar, right? Caterpillar going from the caterpillar to the butterfly. You know when you go outside and you see it, and you want to help it out, and it's struggling the capillaries expand. Guess what? If you pull that thing out of there, it's dead. Because it hasn't gone through the pain and the trouble to get strong enough to fly. See, pain in life is not just real, but it's necessary for us. This is what Habakkuk's walked through. This is what we walk through. And we do it with the Lord and with one another. He clung to God. Listen, don't quit. Don't give up. He is with you. He will not forsake you. Scream if you need to scream. But don't let go. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Habakkuk that seems so real. 
um, and is so real, was so real for Habakkuk, but so relatable to us, and help us be a people who prepare and live in a broken world, knowing that the end will come at some point. I pray that we do that, Lord, reflecting on your faithfulness, humbling ourselves before you in prayer, considering the things that we need to confess, knowing that all the answers are not the answer. Answers are good, but ultimately knowing you and trusting you and embracing you. And Lord, I pray that that as we experience the, the fallenness of this world, the troubles of this world as Jesus would stay, that our deepest pain would call us to higher praise. In Jesus' name, amen.